The Tom Woods Show, episode 1124. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Friends, my Away carry-on helps make my travel a pleasure. It's super strong yet lightweight and it's even got its own USB charger built in. I'm like the king of the airport with this thing. Take $20 off your suitcase order when you head to awaytravel.com woods and use promo code woods at checkout. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. Very glad to be joined once again by Dr. Mary Ruart, who has a brand new book provocatively titled Death by Regulation, How We Were Robbed of a Golden Age of Health and How We Can Reclaim It. Mary Ruart was a leading candidate for the 2008 Libertarian Party presidential nomination. She's the author of the widely acclaimed Libertarian masterpiece, Healing Our World. She holds a Ph.D. in biophysics from Michigan State University. And after a brief term as assistant professor of surgery at St. Louis University Medical School, she spent 19 years as a pharmaceutical research scientist for Upjohn Pharmaceuticals. Mary, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. I absolutely love the title, Death by Regulation. Beautiful. You take this word uh, to which people attach a superstitious reverence, regulation, because without regulation, we'll have the Old West and all that. And you turn it around to make it into something scary. Well done. In three words, that's a lot to ask. So I'd like you to start off, just give us the bird's eye overview of what the general argument in your book is. You have many, many specific claims in here, but what's the overall claim you're making? Well, basically, regulations can have side effects that are just as deadly as pharmaceutical drugs. And the 1962 amendments to the Food and Drug Act are probably the most deadly regulations of them all. We've probably all lost years of our lives to the amendments. And in Death by Regulation, I can really demonstrate this, especially for the impact that the regulations had on the pharmaceutical industry. But probably the biggest a detriment that we've experienced is the shift from prevention to treatment and the suppression of knowledge about natural substances, you know, that really could either substitute for drugs or keep us healthy. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a quantitative estimate for the impact on prevention, although I do talk about some of the things that we know, such as probably if we all had higher vitamin D levels, we'd live for an extra couple of years. But um, I can quantitate what happened in the pharmaceutical industry, and even that is terrifying. So let's let's unpack some of this. Um, I do want to say from the outset that I know that I have people in my audience, let's say, who are attracted to natural medicine of various kinds and who are very skeptical of the pharmaceutical industry. And I completely understand where that's coming from. And in many cases, it's altogether justified. But at the same time, I guess on this question, on this rare question, I'm a moderate. I I can see merit in both sides of the question because there are genuinely life-saving drugs out there. Before we went on, I gave you the example of Gleevec, which is used to treat uh, a form of leukemia that had been especially intractable before and which has now given countless people a new lease on life. And I know somebody personally who benefited from that drug. So there really are life-saving drugs out there. This isn't something that, this isn't a myth. These really do exist. So what is it then that the FDA is doing that makes it more difficult for people to get access to what they need? 
Well, one of the things that happened with the amendments is the FDA got pretty much um, carte blanche with the pharmaceutical industry and with the nutritional supplement industry for a long time. And this, the, these amendments kind of are open-ended, so they're living law. They've metastasized. Every year, they, they encompass more. So one of the things that's happened, for example, is that the time it takes to get a drug from a lab bench to the marketplace has increased from four years to almost 14 years. So that's a huge increase. And when I was working on AIDS drugs, the AIDS patients decided they didn't want to die waiting. So they went to the black market and had chemists make the same drugs we were working on in the pharmaceutical industry. And by the time that the FDA gave us permission to put these drugs in people, every AIDS patient in the country who wanted them had them and they were resistant. So we had to wait until new patients were diagnosed in order to do the studies that the FDA demanded. And if you watch Dallas Buyers Club, you can see um, how the FDA treated the people who were trying to save their lives uh, with drugs from other countries that we didn't have here or from the new drugs that we were working on. And of course, that's very scary. You have a chapter, chapter 10, called Millions of Americans Die Waiting for Life-Saving Drugs. Is it really millions? Yes. Um, this 4- to 14-year gap in how long it takes drugs to get to the market really has killed about 15 million Americans since 1962. And on average, they've lost about 10 years of their life. And that's just the ones that die waiting. There's another aspect to this, Tom, that's even more devastating, and that's the suppression or the um, uh, of, of not only information about nutrients and older drugs, but also it when you have such a huge increase in the time for development, the costs go up exponentially. And so what's happening is drugs that could save lives are not even being developed. For example, when I was at the Upjohn Company, I actually got a call from the FDA examiner who wanted to encourage me to have our company develop um, prostaglandins for liver disease. I had just filed a patent on that and they were all excited because they, they know there was nothing for liver disease. About 100,000 people die every year from liver disease, and this showed promise. Unfortunately, when you really have a cure for something that's never been treated before, or, or even if it's you know a partial treatment, you don't know what dose to use, you don't know how often you have to treat, you don't how, know how many years you have to look at it, and sometimes you don't even know what parameters uh, the FDA will accept for treatment. So you have a lot of unknowns. And what happened uh, at my company is they, the managers thought about this and they said, well, if we guess wrong on any of these things, the studies that we do in people, which take years, uh, could not have the statistical significance that the FDA wants and we'd have to start over. And if we had to do that, um, the drug would be off patent by the time we got it to market and we couldn't have our development costs recovered and so we'd really, we'd really take a hit. So they decided not to develop this, even though um, other studies by other companies uh, indicated that this probably would have been a promising way to go. So um, there's a lot of drugs. Uh, the studies show about 50% at least, probably closer to 80%, never get developed because the cost now is so high and it's increasing every year as the FDA adds more and more and more studies before a drug can get out the door. Now, this is going to bring up the 
primary question, the most common question you're going to get from skeptics, which is, for all the problems the FDA has, at least it's something. At least we have some guardian of our health, because otherwise, how would we all be able to navigate what's safe and what's unsafe and what's, uh, this becomes more controversial, what's effective and what's ineffective? What is your response to that? And of course, your response is multifaceted and it takes up a good chunk of the book. But you're, you know, if you're doing a lot of radio interviews, you got to have a pithy response. What's the pithy response? Well, it's very interesting because there's no increase, no improvement in safety because of these amendments. We can compare before and after. And the rate of withdrawal from the market once a drug has been marketed is actually a slightly lower pre-amendment than post-amendment. So we haven't seen any increase in safety. In fact, the most dangerous drug of all, Vioxx, was approved by the amendments, I mean, approved by the FDA (laughs) post-amendments. So that's a little scary. And in fact, because of the band-aids that they've had to put in legislation because of these regulations, um, they've really tipped the scales into having the FDA work for the pharmaceutical companies instead of for us. Because in 1992, the drug companies started paying a user fee, that's what they call it, for having their drug approved. And that's gone up so much that about half of half to 70% of the money that the FDA uses to pay salaries for the drug approval process is given to them by the pharmaceutical companies. Hence, they have a huge conflict of interest. Um, And as far as efficacy goes, the effectiveness hasn't changed much either. Studies show at most we've gained maybe 10% of effectiveness. And what we've paid for isn't lives. I mean, about half the people who have died since 1962 have lost about 10 years of their life. And in addition, we're paying uh, close to 40 times what we would pay at the pharmacy if we didn't have these amendments. So we're paying a huge cost in lives and money, and yet (laughs) we haven't seen any increases in safety or effectiveness. So what is it that the private sector could do to keep an eye on drug safety that might, you know, might be able to satisfy a skeptic? Well, you know, one of the things, it's actually happening now, There's there's uh, can be certification of drugs, which means that companies look at things and make recommendations. And there are actually groups that do this now for the medical, uh, you know, the medical doctors and other medical practitioners. So I think this would increase, you know, if you think about it, for example, um, our electrical appliances don't go through any kind of regulatory approval. What happens with them is that um, a UL, which puts its little mark on the back of the electrical appliances, looks over the product, makes recommendations to the manufacturer to improve safety, and works with them kind of in a very cooperative way so that the final product gets approval, but it's very safe. And this is what's missing in my opinion, from the whole FDA process, is the FDA looks on the pharmaceutical companies as as enemies to a large extent. Now, that's not true of all examiners, uh, but um, it's been true enough that, you know, there's kind of an adversarial um, relationship between the drug industry and the FDA, and that, that doesn't make for cooperation. So, if we left the FDA as a certifier, in other words, if it could go ahead and do what it does and make recommendations, but it couldn't prevent something from being marketed, then basically what we would have is, is a way to take drugs that we 
feel we need, even if they're not fully developed, because we may only have a year or so to live. Or we can wait and see what the FDA says, or we can listen to the private certifiers. And actually in Europe, the private certifiers work with medical devices. So we actually have a model already for this type of thing. So it's not pie in the sky. And and it was this, um, this uh, review of, you know, private review of drugs was actually happening when the FDA was empowered by these 1962 amendments, but it kind of fell by the wayside as the FDA got power. More with the great Mary Ruart after we thank our sponsor. Folks, I don't do nearly the public speaking travel I used to do, but I do a lot more travel for pleasure. I'm going to be spending a week in New York City next month. Bob Murphy's debate with George Selgin is my excuse for getting up there, and you better believe I'll be taking my away carry-on with me. And why wouldn't I? It makes me the king of the airport. It charges all my devices while all these poor folks are huddled around these little charging stations. It's really sad and pathetic to observe. I'm sitting there with a big old grin on my face with my away carry-on. It's super strong yet lightweight. It glides beautifully through the airport. It's got a great compression system that's wonderful for overpackers like a certain person who might be talking to you right now. With a 100-day trial, a lifetime warranty, and my endorsement, you can buy with confidence. And to get $20 off a suitcase... Just head over to awaytravel.com slash woods and use promo code woods during checkout. That's 20 smackers off a suitcase at awaytravel.com slash woods and use promo code woods during checkout. One of the things you said at the beginning and that you develop later in the book is the theme that the amendments that you're talking about shifted the emphasis from prevention Mm -hmm. to treatment. That's right. How exactly did that happen? What's the mechanism behind that? Well, the mechanism is the effectiveness provisions of the amendments. Um, The amendment said that you had to have, um, you know, very good science to show that the drugs were effective. The FDA interpreted that as meaning that you had to have two, at least when I was in the industry, two U.S. studies showing a high statistical significance, P less than 0.05 for those who are technically inclined. And, um, you know, that's actually a pretty high bar when you have limited patent life and, you know, you need to recover your development costs. So, for example, if I, you know, I actually put together a cream that protected against um, radiation damage when I had breast cancer. Um, and I did that because I was you know, I was very sensitive to radiation. And my doctor even put it in my notes that, hey, you know, this this cream really protected her. Uh, you know, I couldn't tell the difference <laughs> in the in the two breasts. So that was wonderful. But you know, if I wanted to sell that for uh, radiation treatment, um, I would have to go through a very involved process, even though it's all natural ingredients, and to make a claim. And this is what happens with supplements too. If if a supplement manufacturer wants to say, and in fact, I'll give you a real life example. So back in the early in the 1980s, we knew that folic acid, a B vitamin, would prevent neural tube defects like spina bifida in children, but you had to take it in the first month or two of pregnancy. So the folic acid manufacturers, of course, wanted to tell the American public about this wonderful way they could prevent birth defects. But the FDA said they'd shut them down if they did so because they wanted this B vitamin to go through all of the regulatory process that a drug would go through. 
before they could make that claim. And even when the Center for Disease Control started making the recommendation that young women should take folic acid supplements regularly, what happened was <laughs> the FDA threatened the folic acid manufacturers if they even mentioned that this other government agency was making this recommendation. So, <laughs> so this information was suppressed for about 12 years. And of course, we had a lot of American babies that were born with birth defects. And the irony is these amendments were passed to prevent something like thalidomide, which caused birth defects in European children. So instead, we got the American thalidomide because the FDA suppressed information about this natural substance that could have prevented those birth defects. And, you know, the funny thing is a lot of times when we hear people arguing about the correct way forward for healthcare in general, one of the things, particularly people like I hear a lot of Democrats talking about how we don't have enough emphasis on prevention in our current system. And that's leading to greater costs down the road. We need to place the emphasis on prevention once again. And you're saying, well, that wouldn't be a bad idea, but we could do that more or less right now by trying to undo some of these distortions introduced by the amendments. Oh, yes. Yes. And in fact, the sad thing is that the FDA has gone to court about nutritional substances and the courts have ruled that if a natural substance manufacturer make, wants to make a claim about their nutritional substance, it turns it into a drug and therefore it has to go through these FDA processes. So even if we did away with the amendments, we'd still have some problems because the court decisions have really put the amendments uh, in the legal uh, database, so to speak, and we'd have to deal with that too, which is why in my book, I recommend that we take the approval, the, the need for an FDA approval out of the mix and allow, allow drug companies to sell their drugs at the proper stage of development, which they'll determine because of liability. And if they do that, then I think we would have, we would have access to these life-saving drugs. And some of our drugs would actually turn into natural substances because most drugs are really a chemical modification of a natural substance. So why do a chemical modification when you can have a natural substance? The reason is the amendments. So we need to, we need to get rid of those. Are there any self-interested reasons that even though the drug companies struggle with the FDA, they might nevertheless prefer the current arrangement to any changes? Well, it's true that when these amendments were passed, it basically wiped out the small companies. Because what happened is a, a big company can absorb the cost because they have so many drugs. So per drug, the cost is a lot less than with a small company, which might have just a few drugs. So they were basically driven out of business by the amendments. And I think that the big companies may have looked on that as a good thing for them. But, you know, ultimately, we are all human beings. That means if we're drug company executives, if we're FDA regulators, if we're patients, if we're doctors, no matter who we are, we are all affected by the, the suppression of medical knowledge that is happening through these amendments. And we are all losing years of our lives because of the amendments. So even if um, a pharmaceutical company representative felt like their company was making more money because of the amendments, the downside of that is it's costing years of their lives and that of their loved ones. So I think there's a real incentive here because 
these amendments are so deadly. They affect us all. I, I mean, in my book, I'm, I'm, I do conservative estimates that half the people who have died from disease since 62 have lost 10 years of their lives. But the reality is I can't calculate how many lives have been lost because of the suppression of information about nutrition and prevention. And that number, I suspect, is much higher than anything I calculated in my book about drugs. So when you think about it that way, you know, we're all, we're all dying earlier than we need to simply because of these amendments. Suppose you no longer needed to get FDA approval for a drug. How do you think the process of drug development would change? Well, I think it would change a lot because what happened before the amendments is the drug companies would do whatever animal work they thought was appropriate. Now they have to do what the FDA tells them. And then what would happen is they would probably do their testing differently. Back then, uh, people, uh, drug companies gave drugs to the medical doctors that they chose and said, test these in people, tell us what you think. Now, the testing wasn't against placebo like it is today. It didn't involve thousands of people like it does today. So it was more limited, but yet it was very effective because if the doctors didn't see improvement and they told the drug company that, the drug company said, hey, <laughs> let's not go there. I think companies today would probably do studies that weren't too dissimilar from what we have today, except it would be more oriented towards the patient. See, today we enroll hundreds and hundreds of people in these studies and hope that we can see a difference between placebo and drug. But the problem is, you know, we're not identical like rats. <laughs> we're, we're different genetically, environment, uh, and, and things of that nature. So, there's a lot of variation that comes from those studies. Now, today, what's happening is because we know so much about genetics, we can sometimes select uh, a group of patients that will be especially helped by drugs. Or when we get partway into the study, we can see that, hey, this segment of the population is doing very well and then change the way that we do the study. To today, it's very cumbersome for a drug company to do that. They have to go through an IRB or institutional review board, as well as the FDA, and it takes a lot of time to change things that are significant in the protocols, for example. So, it's, it would be a much more efficient system. And I actually, I think we might get some drugs to the market earlier than four years because our techniques have improved so much. We can do things so much faster today than we used to be able to. So, we really could get life-saving drugs on the market quickly to the population that needs them. I think it would really change the whole face of medicine, too, because instead of just using drugs, we'd be able to use the natural substances <laughs> that the drugs are derived from. And that would change the whole side effect profile and everything else. Your book is just filled with interesting statistics, too, that that I hadn't heard, but that makes sense in light of your argument. For example, at the time the amendments were passed, about half of pharmaceutical R&D went to finding new medicines. Today, about uh, only about 15% is devoted to innovation. You say the pharmaceutical companies spend so much on development that little is left for research. So again, another side effect, another consequence of these amendments. What was going on in America at the time that the amendments were an issue at all? I mean, you at least sometimes, not just sometimes, a lot of the times some new legislation is passed that really has nothing to do with the public interest. It has a lot to do with 
backroom deals and whatever, but generally they like to connect it to something going on in the news. Yes, so, like yes. For example, you know, gun regulations, right? Well, there'll be a school shooting and then there's a, there's a law that, that's passed. Was there anything going on in the news at the time that would have justified the sudden introduction of these amendments? Yes. Actually, the amendments had been languishing in Congress for a few years because the idea of the amendments, <laughs> it was a kind of a crazy idea by Senator Kefauver. Um, He thought that he, he was unhappy because doctors didn't like to use generics because they didn't really act like brand name drugs. You know, sometimes there were different, um, you know, maybe the particle size wasn't the same or uh, the things that were put in the pill weren't the same, and that influenced the absorption. And so sometimes that was very critical. So generics weren't being marketed very much. And he felt that, okay, we need to have cheaper drugs, so we need to emphasize generics. So he designed a plan where generics would be tested rigorously, <laughs> as well as new drugs, to show that they were equivalent. Now, he didn't think about the costs of this testing. While he was trying to get this through Congress in Europe, there was a thalidomide tragedy going on. Thalidomide was a safer sleeping drug, but it had a big side effect, not in adults, but in its impact on the unborn child. It resulted in a lot of deaths and um, missing limbs if the mother took the thalidomide in the first couple months of pregnancy. And some women started doing that because one of the benefits of taking thalidomide was an end to morning sickness. And of course, it wasn't appreciated back then that the fetus is so sensitive to drugs that don't harm the mother. So in Europe, there was about 20,000, uh, I'm sorry, I think it was about 15,000 uh, individuals born without limbs and or died, and it was a very big tragedy. So everybody in, in the U.S. was kind of up in arms, even though the drug hadn't been approved here. It was just undergoing testing. And so Congress decided to pass these amendments to make the American public feel safe. But the thing is, the amendments weren't designed to create safer drugs, and they didn't. Uh, even, even if we had hoped that they would, they didn't. I mean, we might be willing to put up with a great cost in terms of money if it saved lives, but as I've been sharing with you, it actually backfired and, and became the most deadly regulation of all times. Tell me about the strategy you're pursuing in, in promoting this book. The book comes out April 9th, 2018, and leading up to that, if people buy it in advance, they get really great benefits. So what are those? Yes. So what we do is we have a promotion going on where if you buy a book before April 9th, um, we will give you up to $60 worth of free bonuses, which includes actually um, a $10 off coupon for the Life Extension Foundation supplements. <laughs> and it includes um, Jonathan Gullible, which is uh, a free market odyssey, which is Ken Schoolin's wonderful book. And it includes a digital copy of my book, Healing Our World. It also includes a discount on free to choose medicine, which the Heartland Institute has just put out. And it's another plan to, you know, basically make the changes in the FDA that we need to make to go around the amendments. And in free to choose medicine, what the difference is, is that the drug is under FDA control through what we call phase one safety testing in people and one phase two 
study, which is a little bit of effectiveness. And after that point, if patients want to buy the drug from the pharmaceutical company, they can. And, and basically, they don't need to get an approval for that drug unless they decide they want to. So there'd be like two tracks. Uh, and, and I think that that's, it's obviously more conservative than the plan I'm suggesting. So who knows, maybe it'll pass and work. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted my uh, readers to be aware of that. And so that's one of the bonuses is a discount on that book as well. I'm looking at it right now. It's deathbyregulation.us. That's where you go to do the pre-ordering. So uh, why would you not do that? You're going to get all these great bonuses. It's, it's such a great idea. I'm, I always, I'm always happy when people do things like this because that's going to generate some – first of all, it'll generate more sales and uh, it'll get buzz going. And then the hope is that when all those sales – uh, ultimately go through and, and you know, the, the day that it comes out and all those sales go through, that maybe you get a nice boost on Amazon, stuff like that. That's so right. that's what we want to see, that we, we want we want attention for this because it's it's really well done. It's laid out. I mean, it, it actually it reminds me of healing our world in that it's a, it's got a lot of chapters and each one is short, digestible to the point. It's easy at the end of that chapter to summarize what the point was. You can look over the table of contents and get the gist of the argument. It's it's great. It's just the way it should be. It's not a whole lot of technical gobbledygook, although it's it's very scientifically informed. It's written for the general public, which is what our book should be written for. That's right. That's right. And um, the, the thing about going to deathbyregulation.us and pre-ordering the book is that on April 10th, we're going to submit all the orders to Amazon at one time. And hopefully that will bump it up to the Amazon bestseller list. And then Amazon will do a little promotion from its bestseller list, which will help it. And I think what's so important to libertarians is we have for a long time known that regulations can be deadly. But this is really the first time, I think, that we've really gotten an idea of how deadly they can be. And the reason I was able to write this book was there's been so much research done on the pharmaceutical industry that I was at least able to get numbers for that. And the numbers I've been quoting you are really for the pharmaceutical industry. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, and I really want to emphasize, um, prevention is really the key. And prevention comes from, you know, not having, I mean, from, from knowing how to, you know, run your diet and nutrition and supplements. And that's been really harmed by the amendments. And I can't get an estimate for that as easily. So that's not even included in what I've said. And I want to leave your listeners with something that they should be aware of, because one of the things when I was doing research, we could not genetically manipulate our animals. You know, that was before, <laughs> before it's time. So what we did to make our animals sick, because they were so healthy, we, we had to create uh, liver disease and heart disease and diabetes by taking away some of their nutrients or overwhelming their system with too much sugar or, or something like that. So, in other words, it became very apparent, those of us who were doing research, that nutrition, optimal nutrition, was extremely important in preventing disease. And this is why these amendments I believe, are even more deadly than what I'm speaking about because they really made it difficult for people with nutritional foods and supplements to advertise their product. In fact, the FDA actually sent out warning letters to the cherry growers and the walnut growers and said, hey, 
your cherries and walnuts are drugs because you're talking about scientific studies that show that the components of these products, uh, you know, help prevent disease. This is ridiculous. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, the book is Death by Regulation, How We Were Robbed of a Golden Age of Health and How We Can Reclaim It. I'm going to link to it at tomwoods.com slash 1123 for our show notes page, but I want to urge you to check it out specifically at deathbyregulation.us and help Mary out, not only because it's a great book, but if I may also say, she, not that we want to get into this, uh, go down this rabbit hole right now, but in the whole struggle with the Libertarian Party, she's been consistently on the side of the angels and to to show our support and gratitude to her, get her outstanding book that you want to buy anyway uh, over at deathbyregulation.us. Mary, thanks so much and best of luck with this. Thank you, Tom. And good day to all your listeners. All right, folks, I got something uplifting for you before I let you go today. And that is my friend Joel Bein, B-E-I-N, has his website, joelbein.com. So J-O-E-L-B-E-I-N.com. And one of the things you'll find there is his brand new podcast called Exponentially Empowered. And the way he describes it is the premise is to harness and maximize one's own sphere of control to invest in conscious personal growth and fulfillment. And this can positively impact the world around you through the ripple effect. And so he says, clean your own bedroom, to borrow a Jordan Peterson phrase. Or criticize by creating, to borrow an Isaac Morehouse phrase. Episode titles include The Compound Effect and Be Willing to Look Stupid, and he's several times interviewed successful candidates at Praxis who have gone on to become successful by pursuing an alternative course to just going through the four years of college and being in debt and not knowing what to do. They've taken a different path, and Joel has interviewed them, and I think you'll find this all very interesting, especially if you're a younger person. You will really benefit from this, but the audience is potentially anyone. So check it all out at joelbein.com, and at the bottom of the screen, you'll see the link to the podcast. All right, remember, if you would like to get publicity and you don't want it to be all tumbleweeds and the wind blowing and no traffic when you launch your website, make sure and get your hosting through my link, and I will give you a nice shout-out, give you a nice burst of traffic plus some other benefits. Get that at tomwoods.com slash publicity. All right, no episode tomorrow, but I will be back on Monday with more Tom Woods Show episodes for you. See you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.